she leads, she thrives. The home of inspired conversations, practical and creative wisdom, expansive leadership and business insights, abundant braggadocious moments of celebration, and useful info you can actually do something with. You'll hear about mindset, marketing, money, magnetism, self-awareness and the Thrive Factor framework, its archetypes and more. Amplify your role as a leader, a self-led soul. Tap into your effortless success zone. Turn your ingeniousness and wisdom into profitable income streams. From solo shows to guests you definitely want more from, there's something for every ambitious, ingenious soul. I'm Shannon Dunn, a true OG of the business coaching space with an obsession with thriving. You are so welcome here. Let's dive into today's episode. This episode was brought to you by the Thrive Factor Coach Certification offered by Thrive Factor School. The certification is a unique, immersive experience into professional coaching and developing proficiency using the Thrive Factor framework and its 12 female-centric self-leadership archetypes. Being a Thrive Factor Coach offers a unique gift of personal transformation your clients will be filled with gratitude for. This is a genuine opportunity to engage in a world-class personal and professional training experience and become part of a community of impact makers as a licensed Thrifactor coach. To find out more, email hello at thrifactorco.com. A great big hello, superstars. I am... As always, as always, excited to be back with a new episode for She Leads, She Thrives podcast. And today, mixing it up a little bit, doing something a little bit different, I have got two guests with me, and there's a very specific reason for that, so I'm going to share that with you now. As you will know, if you have listened to episodes very recently uh, or follow me online in any way, shape or form, you'll have seen that I've just been in Bali hosting my first retreat in three and a half years. I felt like the longest time coming to finally get there. And I did an episode a couple of weeks ago, which was a retreat episode to share with you kind of a bit about the behind the scenes, what retreats are all about, things to think about with regards to retreats. Now, I may have shared with you at that time too that two of the participants on retreat with me were also Thrive Factor coaches. So I have both Rachel Gardner and Karen Slater with me today. And what we thought we would, would do is have a conversation about how the archetypes I was not going to say all 12 of them because there were only 11 amongst the group of us that were on retreat together. There was one archetype that wasn't represented. We will talk about her, but we will go through the others first. I'm going to talk about how these archetypes played out on retreat in the most, of course, loving, diplomatic way possible because there were some that were not as comfortable as others being away and being on retreat. We saw some interesting observations of the interactions between archetypes. We may not talk about those so much because we've got a lot to cover when we talk about, you know, going through all 12 archetypes in the Thrive Factor framework. I will just also mention that if you have not listened to the archetypal-focused uh, episode back in what would have been early, late December, early January, I introduced you to all 12 archetypes. That'd be a good one to go and listen to at some point in complement to this, this episode, just if you want to get a bit of an idea. And before I forget, I also will say that if you don't know your Thrive Factor archetypes, you are still welcome to listen. And I know that you'll resonate with some of what we're going to share today. You'll be able to recognize some potential archetypes that you may have. There is a free assessment that you can take online. We'll make sure the link is in the show notes. 
uh, where you can go and learn one of your potential three to six archetypes of the 12. And also, if you're interested in, in actually being profiled and doing some Thrive Factor coaching, I'll make sure there is obviously links to, to connect, connect with me always in our show notes, but also to connect with Rachel and Karen as licensed Thrive Factor coaches, both incredibly gifted individuals with so much to give and share when it comes to their Thrive Factor coaching. Very different to me. I'm the only coach uh, in our community that focuses on women in business and leadership. These two ladies, I'm going to get them to introduce themselves in a moment, uh, um, share their love of the Thrive Factor and their gifts in relation to Thrive Factor in different ways because they are different individuals with different backgrounds. So before we get to some intros, I will just also say that the reason that this felt important is that when we are in different environments or different situations where it's not our normal, it's not our every day, so like going on retreat to another country, even if you've been there before, we tend to default to our I guess, our innate patterns of mindset, of feeling states, of, of also of behaviour. So this is why I say or use that phrase, play out true to type. We revert back to things in a way where we're maybe not as conscious or intentional in how we're talking, how we're thinking, how we're feeling, what we're doing. It just kind of happens. And I think people can be quite surprised how different attributes that they have show up when they're in different environments. Now, someone could be completely at home, at ease, on retreat, love the group that they're in, feel like they're getting on with everybody, loving all the activities we're doing, but it doesn't mean that they necessarily are, are controlling to just be they're you know in their strengths all the time the potential shadows get actualized no matter what and when you are in a space and I know that the ladies are going to be able to share their insights into this when you're in a space in a group together for a whole week you see it like you can't help but see it right it just shows up in such an interesting way and it's been such a great thing this time round for the first time to have Thrive Factor coaches with me on retreat and for not that we were going and chatting about everybody because that wasn't what was happening, but just to be able to have a different conversation with both Rachel and Karen about what we're observing and for the two of you to share with me how you were learning so much more about the archetypes and their interaction with each other and individually by being able to see it in that kind of intense environment. So, so much to talk about. Very excited. So let's start with Karen. Kez, come on and do an intro. Tell us a little bit about you, how long you've been a Thrive Factor coach, because it's for you, it's been a little bit of a, a little while now. Um, and, you know, you think it was probably we were at four years since I probably since I profiled you and you first met your archetype. So tell us a little bit about you and how you're using the Thrive Factor framework in your business. Well, hi, my name is Karen Slater. Uh, you just put me on the spot there too, because I'm like, oh, when did I finish that? I know that I was doing that during 2020. So yeah. it, it has been a couple of years now. Um, and I just love this framework. And a lot of the, I use it with coaching with my clients. I focus mostly on self-discovery, you know, self-love, self-acceptance, self-awareness, really supporting women to tap into their innate magic and the their divine essence of who they are and i also have a program called awaken so that is based also on the thrive factor framework and i just love it it's just such an incredible tool for self-discovery and that's you know as you know that's been so much of my personal journey is who am i why am i here what is my purpose and um and being able to have a, a a framework that actually supports 
women through, you know, coaching, through my healing modalities, through all of the other modalities that I have, Shapeshifter Alchemist, um, you know, I've just found it to be a really strong foundation and it never ceases to amaze me at how incredibly accurate and spot on it was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I really saw that during the retreat week as well. Right. And I mean, it still blows me away how accurate this thing is that I created and with that together we've evolved. Um, but, you know, I think this is also part of the gift of it being uh, focused in the space of psychology, not other kinds of things. So, yeah, it's very, very cool. Um, when we get to the individual archetypes, we will talk about the ones that we have, I think, rather than doing an intro now. So over to you, Rachel. Like, tell us again a bit, bit about you. You're the newest Thrive Factor coach but have been qualified about a year now I would say yeah I think so I was just trying yeah. to remember as well like yeah. Karen I think it was um yeah early last mid year, last year. Yeah. 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 Oh, mid last year that's right yeah. yeah so um fairly new into the whole Thrive Factor um coaching scenario but I like Karen I truly truly love it um mine's all about you know helping women and um to discover their spiritual um Thrive Factor archetypes mm. And I absolutely really love it. I'm learning so much. Even on retreat, opened up my eyes to a whole new world, whole new environment. I'd been on a previous retreat, um, on Shannon's previous retreat. So I was in a different space back then. Had yeah, only just learned about my, yeah. yeah, I'd only just learned about my archetypes when I went on that retreat. So going on this retreat, just um, I was so much more relaxed and I was able to really sort of observe um, the women around me a whole lot more. Yeah, yeah, no, it was, and it was so good to see that. Um, I mean, Karen, you did a retreat with me a couple of years ago and you managed to get over to the West Coast of Australia when we couldn't travel. And we did a little bit of Thrive Factor stuff there, but that was only three days. So it's harder to observe so much. Um, but I really noticed the difference with you, Rachel, because like I said, four and a half years ago, you just learnt your archetypes. I probably, the thought of being a Thrive Factor coach wasn't even on your like radar at that point in time. It was all new to you, that learning through that, even though you've done lots of spiritual development, learning through the lens of the archetypes was so new. Um, so, so for me to see the difference in the two of you this far on and see you sit there in that space of curiosity, observing and listening and supporting the other women that were on retreat with us because of your different depth and of knowledge and understanding of all the archetypes, even though you're also both in the process, as am I, still learning our own, right? Such an interesting thing. So all right, let's get dive dive into the archetypes though, because we have got twelve to talk about, and um, you know, while the episodes can easily be an hour, I don't kind of want it to be an hour and a half. So let's see how we go. I've got the uh, cards for the Thrifet archetypes in front of me. So often when we're talking about archetypes, uh, I'll go through them alphabetically. The I call them the Thrifactor archetype alphabet. Not that I ever forget one. Some of them like to hide themselves every now and again. Uh, won't happen today so much because usually that one is a shapeshifter and we have two shapeshifters in the in the room here. I'm not the shapeshifter archetype, um, but both Karen and Rachel have that. So I thought we'd just kind of shuffle the cards and see what we get and just go through them in that particular order. So um, let's see, see what we get, see what shows up um, as our first one. All right, so I'm just going to shuffle a little bit and I'm just going to pull one out. So the Mother Nurturer. That's the first one that's come up. So the mother of nurture archetype and said, I'm not, we're not going to go into much about the archetypes themselves because it's not the right kind of space and time to do that. Um, as I said, we will link in the archetypal focused 
episode from early, it was either late 2022 or early 2023, uh, where you can go and listen and learn more about the archetypes. Plus there's a lot of information on, you know, if you Google the archetypes, you'll find information about them. But the mother nurturer in a nutshell is the archetype that's all about family. Yeah, that's probably, isn't it, ladies, the easiest way to talk about her. And we had, in our small group of eight, we actually had two mother nurturers on retreat with us, which is unusual. In all these years, well, we had like 14 years now that I've been working with the Thrive Factor framework and, and evolving and getting to know and understand the different archetypes, um, we might, in a group, even a larger group, have one show up or none. It's not often, not uncommon for this to be the archetype that is not in a group of any kind that I'm doing. So we had two. So what did we see in terms of the mother nurturers? What They also both had the advocate rescuer archetype, which there's similarities in the traits of those two archetypes, except that the mother nurturer is purely family focused. Um, and that's both in relation to their real and perceived family. So I would say, I don't know if you ladies agree with me, but for the context of us being on retreat together, we were probably taken on board the collective group as the family for the mother nurturers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So what do you definitely add? That. Yeah. What do you want to add to that, Kez? I um. Well, it was just that you know, mother nurturers have that beautiful warmth, and they want everyone to you know to be watched over and looked after, and making sure that everyone's comfortable and everyone you know, is, is again, with the combination of the advocate rescuer is included, um, especially when it came to, you know, meals and what we were all doing and where everybody was. And um, that's, that's one of the things that I observed. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? What, what, what jumps out for you around the mother nurturer? Yes, I found that too, Karen. And I also found um, when we were in, we were doing our business side of things on the retreat, um, it was very focused on family, very focused on, them, on yeah. them, mainly on their children more than anything yeah. else. Yeah, and they both are actual mothers with, with their own children because um, not every mother nurturer will have had her own children, um, so that's something to also note. Um, and because the focus of the retreat this year was on self-leadership and legacy, when we talked about legacy and then kind of what is the imprint or that we're leaving or the impact we're creating in the world, what are we leaving behind when we are no longer physically here, yeah, very much focused more than the rest of us on their family, wasn't it? Yeah, and again, those that were perceived family, not just their literal family that they are related mm. to, blood. yeah, mm. you can send it out that way. Karen, I just think about what you said about meals. Because mother nurturers like to feed. They love to, they don't necessarily love cooking, depends on their other archetypes, but they like to be involved in the process of people being fed. And they, yeah, I agree. They were very much, both of them were very focused on where were we eating? What was everybody having? How was everybody's meal? What are you ordering? Weren't they? There was a lot of conversation from our mother nurturers around food. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and I love that because that was them wanting to ensure that we were all well-nourished yes. and well-nurtured, which is, you know, very much in alignment with the mother nurture archetype. Sure. The mother nurture archetype is not always great at self-nurturing, and that's actually her key theme in terms of her learning in this lifetime, is to self-nurture. Uh, they will put everybody else first um, on a, and like a, another scale compared to what a parent would do, for example. And I loved being able to observe them both allowing themselves to receive more than perhaps they would do in their everyday. 
Uh, and that was, a, you know, another part of the focus of retreat, even while we include spa time and we go and we receive massage and, you know, enjoy different treatments so that everybody gets a chance to have had some experience of that. Um, but those ladies, our mother nurturers, you could tell that they really did. It wasn't always comfortable for them, but they did enjoy allowing themselves to receive, which was lovely. It was a real, I feel like, a, a gift of that self-nurturing. So, yeah. So as our mother yes, nurturers. They definitely glowed. Yes, they did, didn't they? They did. All right, so we're going next. We have got the Pioneer Seeker showed up. So we did have a Pioneer Seeker on retreat. The Pioneer Seeker is the archetype that's the innovator, the disruptor. She's often kind of the lone you know, journeyer in the world out there looking for where she fits, trying to find where she belongs. The seeker is about looking for her treasure, thinking it's outside of herself and actually the true reality is that it's within. So self-value is a big theme for the pioneer seeker. And as I said, we did have one. And again, that's not an uncommon thing for there just to be one because it's such an archetype that is kind of travels and journeys solo in the world. So, Rachel, we want to go to you first. What did you observe with our Pioneer Seeker and that kind of energy on retreat? And, again, there was Pioneer Seekers, one, maybe two, that were on retreat with us the first time. So I don't even know if you remember back then to what they were like. You've seen a couple of iterations of that archetype play out. Yes. Um, I found with this uh, this lady that was on retreat, I think she was just sort of struggling with the fact that she, she I think she felt quite alone in her own journey um, and so she felt a little bit triggered when things would come up so um, but she she embraced it and she understood it and um, just allowed allowed herself just to feel those feelings yeah and that is a, a again a classic you know expression of the pioneer seeker is to often feel lonely or talk about feeling lonely or isolated uh, for various reasons and it is not, it's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It's just it's just that archetype, isn't it? So, Karen, what did you observe, or you know, what do you want to add in terms of the pioneers? Uh, I I agree with um, what Rachel's saying, and I also loved seeing the um, kind of mischievous, sassy sense of humour come out in the group, which I just loved observing that. Um, and of course that, you know, that really came out after, you know, she'd had a couple of days to get comfortable yeah, and relax. Feel, feel that sense of belonging within the group. Cause there was such a beautiful sense of belonging overall within the group. So yeah, that was awesome to see. It is fun. And that, that is something that I love about Pioneer Seekers is that when they do feel comfortable, they can have a beautiful, cheeky, playful side. Sometimes when they feel uncomfortable and like they're not sure or they can get bored very quickly, again, depending on the influence of their other archetypes, that playful, cheeky side can almost be a little bit, not, it's not nasty, it's just got a different tone to it, yeah, uh, but we we didn't see that because there was a beautiful, as you pointed out, a beautiful sense of belonging that showed up, which was really lovely to see. But, you know, yeah, pioneer seekers, as I said, they, they, they do come on retreat. Um, but they are often the only one as we had this time around and it can take them a little while to come to terms with the fact that there is nothing wrong with them, that they are actually not an outsider and to lean into their other archetypes to really show themselves where they do belong in the world and that they do have incredible value to offer. So it was lovely to see that. Yeah. All right, let me have a little flip through and see what we've got next. didn't even talk about where the Pioneer Seeker also has an element of the Queen um, the queen of the underworld. So that's where the cheeky kind of playful being 
interested in different things plays out. So that's all, always fun to see. Our Advocate Rescuer is the next one. So, Karen, you're our resident Advocate Rescuer of the three of us here. <laughs> Rachel and I don't have this archetype. And of our group of eight on retreat, from memory, we had five or six Advocate Rescuers. I know Rachel and I are not Advocate Rescuers. I think everybody else was from memory. So it was a, a well-represented archetype. What did we see in relation to the Advocate Rescuers? What do we see with this archetype? What, what I loved observing was, uh, again, that inclusive, inclusive, I can't say it, <laughs> making sure that everybody was included, included. Um, but that, you know, that desire to help the desire to help, to support, to make sure that everybody is okay. Um, and just that really compassionate, gentle heart as well. And what I did love also observing was the openness that each of them had, again, like the mother nurturer to receive and mm -hmm. to allow themselves to um, be taken care of, to be compassionate with themselves. And there were also, I did also observe, you know, the sensitivity of the mm -hmm. um, the advocate rescuer. And, you know, when you're in an environment, you're in another country, it's a new environment, you're around new people, there, there, there can be the tendency to be quite sensitive to, you know, whatever's going on, what conversations are going on. So, yeah, just observe that sensitivity, but also the openness to um, to allow each of them to be supported by each other, which was lovely. It was a beautiful thing to observe. And you're, you're right, the sensitivity is present in the Advocate Rescuer regardless, but can certainly be heightened when they're in a space where, you know, am I going to belong? Am I going to fit in? Am I going to be, you know, acknowledged? How do I ask for what I want and need? You know, there's so many different things that play out with the Advocate Rescuer. And one of the greatest gifts of self-learning for the Advocate Rescuer is that understanding what self-advocacy is, which is to get clear on what you actually want and need and to be able to ask for it. And I don't know if you both agree with me, but I certainly was able to see that play out uh, as the week went on in terms of the our Advocate Rescuer women getting clearer on, I, I'm going to ask for this. And also not seeking the external validation as much from the rest of the group. Mm. Yeah. yeah. The one that probably played out the most in terms of seeking approval. That was another archetype. We'll get to her. Um, but there was a little bit of that at different times for advocate rescuers, which is again classic expression of that archetype. Rachel, what do you want to add in terms of advocate rescuer? You just took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say exactly the same things. And I noticed as the week went on, they just got more and more comfortable to be able to um, have those open conversations, really express what they really, really needed for themselves as well. Yeah. And it was lovely to be, um, I, I don't have that um, archetype, another do you, Shannon, but sometimes it's really nice just to be in that space around those yeah. women. Because feel, like literally feel the love. Yeah, the, the depth of compassion and, and love for others that this archetype has, the way that you women that have this archetype feel is next level to any of the other archetypes. As I said, yeah. there's similarities with the mother nurture, but the mother nurture is focused purely on family. But the advocate rescue, it's kind of focused on everybody and everything and can be very sensitive to what's going on around them in from an environmental perspective, from a nature perspective, uh, from a human perspective, from an animal perspective, 
and I definitely, you know, in different places, we're in a third world country, but you're observing this, you know, there were people that were begging and, and are not in a good financial situation to support their children. You know, there are, there are animals that are clearly not really well taken care of through just the nature of the, the, the way that things are in a different place, um, environmental impacts. Uh, and I could see some of the women kind of, you could, I could almost feel that the way that they were feeling into that and, Trying to be okay with some things that didn't necessarily sit well with them, but they did it. And I feel like it's such a beautiful way. All right, so where are we going next? Let's have a look and see what archetype's going to jump out for us next time around. Oh, the Inspire Believer. Well, we all have this archetype. And of the eight women that we were on retreat with, there was only one woman that didn't have the Inspire Believer. And again, that's not uncommon in my community. I have always said that 95 plus percent of women that come and do anything with me, no matter what the scale of the group is, have the Inspire Believer archetype. What I immediately observed was that the the one that didn't have it didn't kind of, it wasn't as obvious that she didn't have it. There was aspects of Inspire Believer that came through. And this also reminds me, and it's great to share here, that we have aspects of all 12 archetypes within us. Well, we have our own thrive archetypes, which is tends to, well, not tends to, it influences how we express ourselves in the world, both the strengths of the archetypes and the potential challenges and where they become actualized. So, you know, I think with the collective energy of Inspire Believer, she was definitely tapping into that and was sharing some aspects, but certainly, you know, this is an archetype that gets very excited. We saw that and I'll get you two to talk about that in a moment. Um, and our non-inspired believer certainly had moments where she didn't get as excited as the rest of us. And I did see her kind of looking a few times like, they're getting a bit over the top here, which is a classic non-inspired believer response. So, Rachel, what did you observe in the inspired believers collectively on retreat? Oh, the energy was amazing. Yeah. Um, just, you know, it's it's lovely to have that support around as well when you're with other inspired believers. Um, you need us they just, yeah, they just sort of, you know, rev up and um, I just enjoyed being in their company. And the person, uh, the lady who wasn't an inspired believer, um, look, she she handled the whole situation really well. She really enjoyed being around all of us. I know at times she did find it a little bit overwhelming. She mentioned that to me as well. Yeah. Um, and she said that she felt a little bit out of place sometimes because she wasn't one and didn't really know where she belonged. But other than that, I just, I love the inspired believer. Yeah, yeah. And it is an archetype, as I sort of say always, that her currency is energy or it's like, you know, for her, her energetic state is like breathing. Um, mm-hmm. so you see that play out with energy and it is an archetype that we just mentioned that gets excited very easily. And when you are not an inspired believer, I can only imagine because of the feedback I've had over the years of women that don't have this archetype that it can be a little, yeah, overwhelming or a bit, like, what is going on? Why are they all getting so over the top about things? Whereas for the rest of us that have the Inspired Believer archetype, it's like, well, we could keep going. This is like we don't even scratch the surface of how energised and excited and, you know, enthusiastic we can get about stuff. So, Karen, what did you observe about our Inspired Believer collective? Uh, definitely the contagiousness of the excitement, you know, like it's such an incredible energy to, um, like Rach said, uh, it, just being in Bali, the energy was incredible. Being in um, surrounded by other Inspire Believers and their energy, and we kind of just fed each other, not fed off. Wow. We 
fed each other. And this is what I love about the Inspire Believer energy is when you're with someone who has that archetype, you never walk away feeling depleted. So it was almost like we just, you know, it was so uplifting every day. And just to see each of the women, you know, really tapping into and tuning into each other woman's strengths and supporting them in that way and, um, and cheering them on really. And, you know, it was just, yeah, it was awesome. It was, it was just so, I haven't, I guess, you know, we can be amongst um, groups of women and we can have an idea that they potentially have the Inspire Believer archetype, but to actually be consciously aware in that space and to feel that and to see it was, it was inspiring. (laughs) I was very excited the whole time I was there. (laughs) <laughs> about the inspiring believer you know there is inspiration in everything for a woman that has this archetype even in the times where because this is an archetype with the ex- can have extremes of energy both a lot of energy and abundance of it and then a, a great depletion of it uh usually when she's not allowing herself to be inspired by who she is what she's creating and what she's sharing in the world is where her energy will be depleted And I will often say when I'm working with a client, and I'm sure I've said it to the two of you as well, and we've talked about it with the Thrive to Coach community, that if you have an Inspire Believer woman and she does feel like she's in her cave and she's got no energy and she's not motivated, to spend time with other Inspire Believers, not just one to tap into, but just go and find others out there that have that energy. Because when we share what we're excited about, others will get excited for us. So it's not about I don't have to be fully engaged with the things that the two of you are excited about, but because you're excited, I will get motivated and inspired and fuel my energy for that rather than feeling, like you said, depleted when you walk away. Mm. And I love that I feel like the Inspire Believers that we were away with managed their energy very well. Again, it was a great like topping up every day of energy because of the 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 relationships we we're in with the other women in the learning and sharing and experience and in times in the past I have sometimes seen an inspire believer you can kind of watch them almost getting unplugged some in some way shape or form uh, I didn't notice that that so much this time I felt like it was a more of a in an added inspiration and energy every day rather than a depletion going on all right definitely Next archetype, well, we've got a lot to talk about with this one, the mediator diplomat. So the mediator diplomat archetype. This is the archetype that's all about things being fair, right, just and equal. She's the truth teller. Uh, She likes things a certain way. Uh, She has incredibly high standards for herself and can be the one archetype that's more likely to have the perfectionist tendency or trait than the other archetypes. Other archetypes have high standards, but this one is a different level. Um, we saw this archetype play out really in lots of different ways on retreat. Um, that need for things to be right and to get approved was, to me, I think the most dominant expression I saw of the mediator diplomat. I also did see some beautiful expressions of uh, the sharing of truth. So the women that have this archetype being able to really sink into their heart and share their truth from here rather than their intellectual headspace, which are uh, media diplomats can sometimes go into but Rachel you're the only one of the three of us here who has this archetype so how did you find your media diplomat and also what did you observe from this archetype in terms of what what played out in retreat um I found um when I was in Bonnington I felt really relaxed actually um Mm -hmm. on this retreat with with my mediated diplomat I just 
didn't have any plans, didn't worry about everything being perfect. And I just uh, went with the flow a lot more this time than what I did when I first went on with retreat with you. Yeah, so I learned to just be really relaxed and just let it play out. But I did notice the other women who are media diplomats, um, it played out a lot more for them than what it did for me. Yeah. Uh, what examples did you specifically see play out? You know, that were, that's classic mediated diplomat. <laughs> Uh, just uh, give, if you're giving instruction to do an activity or we're going to be doing an activity, there would be worry about how they were going to achieve it, perfect it, um, whether they were doing it right, whether they were doing it wrong. Um, they asked lots of questions um, because they just needed that clarification that they, was, that they were doing it right. It's, you know, they're, they're just trying to seek approval all the time mm. uh, from others which is fine. I, I Look, I, I still do that every now and again, but not as much as what I used to. I know. Did you find that you lent in some of your other archetypes? You've got five in total. Did you lean into those, you think, to support your media diplomat to be less focused on having to kind of be a certain way and follow all the rules and be compliant? And Yeah, definitely. I think um, I let all my archetypes sh shine through a lot more. Um, put them more at the forefront than my mediated diplomat. So my mediated diplomat really took a real back seat mm. um, while I was away for that whole duration. And it was actually really nice because my head wasn't spinning so much as what it normally does um, because yeah. that's with mediated diplomats. We, we think 24-7, yeah. it doesn't stop. No, no. I think if like you, it whizzes around, you know. Yeah, say if we could tap into and see a visual of the brain of a mediated diplomat, you know, the rest of us, our brains are processing at a certain speed, for example, which will, up, you know, ebb and flow. Mentor teaches it's a accelerated speed. At a mediated diplomat, it's it's like it's almost off the rails in terms of how fast it could be going in terms of that's what I, how I, my visionary creator sees a mediated diplomat brain. It's spinning so fast it's almost not on its axes. It can't, you know, it just can't be grounded at all because it's just nonstop. Um, yeah, interesting. So, Karen, what did you observe with the media diplomats? The thing that most stood out for me, and again, I agree with exactly what Rachel has been saying, that the thing that really stood out for me was how crippling that self-judgment with the mediated diplomat can actually be and to observe it completely um, preventing them from just going with the flow and trusting themselves and tuning into their own inner wisdom um, and drawing on that to complete the tasks or you know to do what was asked and yeah that really stood out to me and then what and then the downfall of self-judgment you know i could really feel and sense that that was going on internally mm -hmm. um and and so it really highlighted to me again the incredible high standards that they actually do have you know we're aware of it well i'm aware of it from a you know thrive factor coaching perspective but to really see it in a in a um in an environment like that um you know obviously it was like wow you know it must be so difficult every day to um to do the things that they want to do when they have such an incredibly high standard and how often they must actually get stuck and not do what it is that they really want to do yeah, for sure and that's what i've seen play out with most media diplomats over the years that i've coached and that's been a reasonably an archetype, I wouldn't say I don't like the word common, but shows up frequently in profiles of the women that I have in my my world. And the perfectionism, the high standards, the things having to be right before they can proceed has 
meant that frequently things don't happen at all because it's still not quite right. And if they also have the mentor teacher, which is also a common patterning I see play out in my community, then it's the not right is that I don't have enough knowledge yet. I don't know enough yet. So until I have proof, like so there's truth, you know, and um, there's kind of the what's having the right qualifications is important to them, having the right pieces of paper, having the compliance to say that they have got what it takes to do the thing that they want to do in the world means that often they don't share their incredible brilliance. And yeah, it's an archetype that's here to speak and share a truth, much like the advocate rescue with the self-advocacy. This is an archetype that using her voice to share her truth is so important. So I feel like we've got there, though, with some of our beautiful ladies were getting more comfortable with that. What we saw play out, though, I think uh, a lot was the fact that of the women on retreat that have the media diplomat, they either also had the mental teacher or the queen ruler, which is also two archetypes that have standards. So that means that yeah, diplomat attributes and expression is often amplified because of that. All right. And I guess the additional observation as well was, you know, it was beautiful to see each of the women understand themselves on a deeper level, you know, because we were doing all of the work and everything was through the lens of the archetypes. So to see them to actually soften in that and have, you know, more compassion and acceptance of themselves, that was just, yeah, that was a highlight for me for sure. Lovely, wasn't it? Moving on, our heroine adventurer. Yeah, so we had one little heroine adventure. And again, it's not an uncommon thing just to have one in a group. Um, in certainly in, in my world, there would be different environments where you would have more heroine adventures for sure. But this is the archetype who loves nature, she loves animals, she likes being out there in the world, showing her physical strengths. She needs to move, you know, she needs to actually be in her physical body. Uh, she's she's focused, she's determined, she can come across as being very competitive. Uh, depends again on her other archetypes how obvious that is but from the outside perspective her her focus and determination to achieve and to win can look to the rest of us as being very competitive so what did we see in terms of her and adventure energy on retreat so while we only had one there was a couple of other ladies that have this archetype you know probably in the kind of the middle of their profile if we look at all 12 archetypes so there was some tendency to kind of fall in line to some of the heroine adventure traits. So what do we see with this archetype? Well, definitely the need to uh, get out in nature and exercise, like do actual physical activity, like long, long walks and (laughs) everything else. Heroine adventurer and one who's very similar with the the only two that went on an actual hike, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that was very interesting. And also the need to move the body. You know, if there were periods of time where we were sitting, they they needed to get up and, you know, move around and stretch and um, but also be outdoors. They needed to be outside. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And, you know, where we stay in Ubud for retreat is such a beautiful surrounding yes. in terms of nature and, and that's one of the many considerations I make when I choose where we're actually going to stay is how we can actually tap into nature because, while a heroin adventurer needs it, the rest of us will benefit from it. So it was lovely to be able to see them be able to easily take their shoes off and go and stand on the earth, hug, hug a tree or a palm tree or whatever it is that they needed to do to get into the swimming pool and to swim, um, you know, to get out there in nature. So, Rachel, what did you observe in terms of a heroin adventure energy on retreat? 
just saying exactly what Kez has just said, where they just had to be outside, be in nature, be in the environment, soak it up, go on these big, mm. amazing hikes, which none of us are else were interested in doing. No <laughs> And, you know, and they were swimming every day. They were just, I could just see they were just so in their element of just being in that whole environment in, in Ubud. I think yeah. that was their really real happy place there. Yeah. Now, the one heron adventurer and, and the, the one woman who's very closely resembles a heron adventurer both have the mediator diplomat archetype that we just talked about. So I'm not sure if the two of you picked it up, but I did notice an element of not necessarily having to win at our activities because that wasn't what it was about. It was such an individual journey and exploration, but there was a sense of accomplishment that I felt come through for both of those women in terms of I, I've I finished my thing or I've got I've got I'm ready to share and a pride in terms of being able to say that they'd finished something, um, which is again classic, you know, hero and adventurer energy and show up. All right, let's go to our mentor teacher next. So our mentor teacher archetype, again, I think there was from memory, there was only one of the group on retreat that didn't have the mentor teacher archetype. And again, that's like their Inspire Believer. It's the one archetype that shows up in the high 90% of women that tend to be drawn to work with me and to do things in my world. And the three of us have the mentor teacher archetype. We know it well. We live it out all the time. This is the, uh, the archetype that has a, an almost unquenchable thirst for knowledge. She loves to learn. She loves to immerse herself in different experiences, both a, a lived and a learned experience. So her lived experiences is equally important to her or she finally gets that. I think that's where her wisdom kicks in. But it's also an archetype where the gift of really understanding your wisdom and sharing your wisdom, not your intellect, is actually where it all comes together in your inner for a success zone. So, Rachel, what did we see in terms of the mentor teachers? What were that they? These, that these women were starting to share their wisdom. Yes, they were definitely with the group, um, and that encouraged others to to do that as well. Mm -hmm. It was it was great to see, and I my teaching style is very much to encourage others to share and I like to do it. You know, there was only eight of us together on retreat. There's, there's always a maximum of 10 on my retreats at this point in time. I don't see that changing anytime soon because I like there to be a small intimate experience. Um, you know, we could have broken up into smaller groups if we wanted to, but I feel like that, that, you know, a group of eight is actually quite intimate already. And the being able to have a platform where you're invited to share what you know, what you're observing, what your insights are, you know, giving you, uh, I think is such an important opportunity for a mentor teacher. She tends to share anyway. It's an archetype that can be an oversharer, right? Um, but being given an opportunity where you're encouraged to share your wisdom, not your intellect, is is very different. So I love that too. Karen, what did you say in terms of or feel in terms of mentor teacher? The, exactly that, the same as that. And what I also felt for myself and um, observed was all of the women with this archetype really absorbing, you know, the local culture, um, our experiences, like really um, embodying the experience, allowing themselves to step fully into that. And, you know, mental teachers, we love a lived experience. And um, yeah, so it was really awesome to observe that. 
It's fun. I know for my mental teacher, I love the researching about what's going on. And, you know, even for us to be out there, and I shared this in the retreat episode, to discover that our first full day on retreat where we went and did the water purification ceremony, you know, was the day after Sarasvati Day, which is the day, you know, the wisdom goddess, which was the day we actually started. But to be, you know, the different days and different things and to be able to do a little bit of research so it wasn't going over the top and to share some links so that if the mental teachers wanted to go and learn more, they could. My mental teacher loved opportunity to do that but then for us to have a conversation about what that meant for each of us um, and what that meant for the group so that we were tapping into the wisdom not the intellect about those different experiences was fun um, but I did see you know mental teacher sharing links to things books they'd read podcasts they were listening to you know talking about the different learnings that they'd done in relation to what we were doing on retreat as well which was a lots of fun to see uh there was definitely some moments where some of the mental teachers were kind of taking the almost the role of being the teacher in the group, and that is a classic patterning of the mental teacher. They're not technically there as the teacher, but that's just what we do, right, with that archetype we step into. And I love that opportunity to be able to invite women to step into their space, to share their wisdom, as I said that before, so that, you know, people get, are given a chance to actually do that and to feel what that's like. Because, I, you know, most mental teachers have have possibly a, a quiet, sometimes maybe a loud dream to facilitate at different levels. Uh, they have the ability to, but whether they actually do or not is another thing entirely. Okay. So four more archetypes to talk about in terms of what was on retreat, and then we've got our one that wasn't on retreat. But let's go to the Queen Ruler next. So we had, of our eight, we had three Queen Rulers on retreat with us, yeah? This is a, a strong archetype. She, again, is another archetype that has high standards. So all of our queen rulers also have the mediated diplomat archetype. So I felt that sometimes that was amplified in terms of their expectation mm -hmm. of standards. It's an archetype that often has a certain expectation, she, but she loves environment and she loves like they all talked about, we're going to have a, a bit of a laugh about this, but in a, in a beautiful heartfelt way, they all were obsessed with their room and the design <laughs> layout of their rooms, weren't they? Yeah. And yeah. They went anywhere. They talked about how things looked. And the different things in terms of the layouts of the spaces and how it made them feel. And, yeah, so what do, what do we want to talk about with that? <laughs> so we're laughing because it was such a common thing. Every time we went, it's almost like, which, which green ruler is the first one who's going to comment about the beautiful design of the space we're in? And, and watching them too when we did our art um, activity this year was Batik watching them choose their design because design this is a designer of the archetypes choosing their designs and their colors yes. with also a great joy so what what else did we observe in terms of queen Ola? i guess too like even with the art like the way that they were able to put all their colors together mm. you know it was just it was beautiful and the and the pride that they had in the it's final yeah. outcome of the final result, what it looked like. I, um, I, I loved, I just, I just loved that, you know, two of them had a room side by side yeah. and it was just, you know, the, 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 the doors, the outdoor furniture, the, the way that it felt and how inviting it was. And, um, it was just, it was really interesting to observe the queen rulers in that environment and how, um, how much of their language and their mannerisms and the, you know their conversations and, and what mattered to them actually played out to type you know that was that was I just loved I absolutely loved watching that yeah it's 
I find that you can understand the queen ruler if, if there's just one, but when you have three and you can see different iterations of the queen ruler because they each had different archetypes, you really can get to know that archetype in a whole different way, seeing the common things that they love together and the language they use, the things they were focused on, the activities they enjoyed and verbally shared that they enjoyed more so, and then also the influence of their other archetypes on that because the queen ruler... It's not the boss archetype, but it tends to be very dominant when women have it, right? Yeah. Rachel, what do you want to add in terms of your observations of Queen Ola? Yes, I, I agree. I, I loved watching them observe. Um, like they would sit out on their porch together and, and really love being in their whole environment, whereas I'm like, yep, just dump my stuff in my room and off I go and do something else. Didn't particularly care. Just grateful I had a really nice bed and shower and toilet. Um you know, they'd sit there and they'd have their cups of tea and be chatting. and Jaws, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was actually really lovely to watch. And, you know, I really admire that they just, um, I just admire all the beauty mm. as well of, of Bali and Ubud and um, not to say that we all don't as well, but they really, really. They did and they shared it, which was what, what the difference is. The rest of us may be loving what we're seeing and what we're experiencing, but they shared it. And I know that one of the Queen Rulers particularly wanted to see what everybody else's rooms were like. And it wasn't to see if she had a better room. She just was fascinated because there's a problem that we're at is that no room, two rooms are the same. Um, so she just wanted to see how everybody's layouts were, what their designs were, what the, if there was art in the rooms, what the colour scheme was, what your front door was like. And I, you know, it was just a pure, I want to see as much of the layout and the design of everything as we possibly can, which um, is great. It was really fun to see that. Okay, so we're moving to the visionary creator next. So I have this archetype. I'm the only one that officially has it that was on retreat. But one of our ladies has this, again, it's in kind of her next group of archetypes beyond her actual uh, Thrifactor profile. And I certainly saw this play out a lot for her um, more than probably anyone else maybe was initially observing. Rachel, I know you picked up on it as well. And then we kind of highlighted it when I, we checked what her actual archetypal you know, assessment kind of results were and could see that it was there, but it was playing out a lot more than I necessarily thought that it may do. Um, but, you know, rather than me talking about my visionary creator, what did the two of you observe in terms of visionary creator on retreat? I'm not not immune to playing out true to type. We all do it. And and you both, uh, well, you particularly did, and the other lady, um, she did too because she, she just could always sense that she had those traits and... Yes. Um, then when we watched her doing some of the activities, you could really, really see that, yes, definitely, she she does have elements of those traits more than any of us. Yeah, for sure. Kiris, what did you see in terms of visionary creator? Well, I guess, I mean, all of the art, for me, that was like, you know, all of the, the beautiful experiences that we had um, and being able to support women in tapping into, you know, the future visions mm. that, that Yes. you potentially both could see um of what was available should they choose to tap into that and and bring it into their own lives yeah yeah for sure and this is an archetype that has a gift for vision and it's not like a clairvoyance it's very different to that and if anyone understands what clairvoyance actually is but I know for me I do see and I do get a sense of knowing that is it's like I don't question it it's so solid and clear for me that and it's just a why, why would I question it you know I don't sit in this of mistrust in fact one of the biggest gifts for this archetype is actually learning to trust in what you see and sense and know uh in a in a way that you truly know it and own that 
And that's been a huge learning for me. And my visionary creator is not the most dominant archetype. I really tap into all four of my archetypes in terms of creating these experiences, but she plays a significant role because it's like when I'm like, okay, these are the dates for the next retreat. And like for 2024, we're going to Cambodia as well as to Bali. Um, Cambodia is a new destination, but it's like, see, literally I see, I have had dreams at different times, but I see what's possible and I play out the itinerary. It's like I get a visual imprint of what the itinerary could look like in terms of what we might do on particular days and where we might go. And I can sense and and see what's possible with that. So it gets used in lots of ways. And when I can't see clearly, that's when I know that my vision and creator has an opportunity to tap in into a different way and to amplify the trust more. So, all right. Liberator Engineer is next. So, Rachel, you and I have this archetype. We were the only two official Liberator Engineers on retreat, but again, another couple of the ladies have that, you know, shows up a little bit more for them, even though it's not in there officially in their archetypes. So, Liberator Engineer, what was it about this? Maybe we'll ask Karen to share this, what she observed in terms of the Liberator Engineer, considering she's not one. What did you see in terms of this archetype, the, the freedom lover or the freedom weaver? What was going on for us with this archetype? The doors, <laughs> you know. Um, so we had some doors in Bali that weren't working right, but the liberator engineers could figure that out and get them working perfectly straight away. Um, I guess for the sense of freedom, you know, everything about the retreat really felt free. Mm. You know, we had open spaces. Um, we had experiences outdoors. Uh, and I guess, you know, just that sense of being in your own element and having the freedom to be yourself and make your own choices and just that expansiveness. I observed the expansiveness in being in a setting that really was an environment of freedom. Mm, yeah. Rachel, what about you? Me yeah. having a better engineer. I know you commented to me that you felt really free being up there and being on retreat, but what else did you observe in terms of our liberator engineers playing out? Like how did we kind of respond and work with what we had? I think for both, well, I'll speak for myself and possibly you, that we were just out in nature and we could just be free. Um, there was no structure to anything, um, which is probably more media diplomat, but uh, for me but just yeah just having that freedom um to just be who we needed to be yeah yeah it's an archetype that's also very analytical in terms of the way she processes this is more the engineer than the liberator part of the archetype and I did see that like Karen what you said about the doors was kind of funny because there was again the configuration if anyone's been to Bali no matter where you live in the world if you've been there and or really any part of Southeast Asia you may well understand that the architecture is very different to the Western world. Um, like there were some beautiful carved wooden doors that literally just had two metal handles on the outside that were attached and you literally closed it with a lock that like you get from a hardware store. There were other doors where you literally had a key, but like the way that the deadbolt lock worked that you had to turn it like more times than I've ever turned it in a Western country and ways that kind of didn't make sense and weren't kind of obvious in terms of turning left or right. Yeah. So it was kind of, there were some different things, but like you said, or the, there was, I know in our workshop room, the, there was one particular door that just kept getting stuck. And I know that someone said to me, I've tried to open it. It won't work. Or another time I tried to close it. And I just went straight up to it and just kind of looked at it and just jiggled it. And it worked like, of course, cause you're a liberator engineer. So engineers, the engineering part of that archetype 
kind of understands how the mechanics of things work, um, both those kind of how structural things are, they appreciate architecture. And I know that I look at the way things are built. I'm fascinated by the way things that uh, are built and come together, both from that kind of technical, structural, but also people. My liberator engineer plays out in terms of the trifactor framework and the archetypes, understanding that how everything relates to each other, the big piece, the big picture and all the moving parts of the puzzle, like all the machination that goes into being who we are, fascinates me. So I also found myself, and I don't know, Rachel, if you did this for you, yourself, but uh, observing how we were fitting together as a group and how different archetypes were fitting together and working and supporting or not supporting within an individual, how different archetypes played out in the different exercises or activities that we did, how some responded with ease and with joy and others were a bit grumpy or a bit uncertain or a bit concerned because they didn't know what we were doing. Like watching all of that was very much my liberator engineer was in a big, you know, a big process of observation. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yeah. I agree, definitely. I'd yeah. actually forgotten about the doors, Karen, <laughs> because it's just sort of something that we just naturally just do. No, don't even think about it. At all. <laughs> no, Karen and I had a couple of laughs with some some doors, a door to my room particularly, where she just couldn't kind of get the, the key to work. And she's like, here, you just do it. Your liberator engineer will work. And I was like, oh, I can't understand why you have a problem with it. <laughs> That's just the easy archetype. So, but again, that, that being able to say, your liberator engineer will feel comfortable doing this. Um, this is frustrating me. I'm giving this to you. And, you know, for my liberator engineer to go, yeah, bring it on. Like, you know, it's just a, a fun thing with that archetypes. Um, but logistics as well, like working out the logistics of things, that is a liberator engineer trait. And, again, like the vision and creator with the vision of what we're doing on retreat, the liberator engineer for me as a retreat leader, you're working out the logistics and the planning and the 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 driving and the timing and everything, oh, she is in her element. Yeah. Happy, happy place. You know, a big part of Rachel's um, past business and some of the business she still does now is in events. And, again, I know your liberator engineer plays out in that all day, every day. Huge. And even when organising stuff to come to Bali, I got yes. landed with doing all the logistics stuff, you know, getting to and from the airport and all that. So I love it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The... Shapeshifter alchemist, and then we will talk about the one archetype that wasn't on retreat. So this is an archetype that both Rachel and Karen have. Uh, the shapeshifter alchemist is the oh, she's the archetype of transformation. She's mystical, magical. She's you know spiritual. She's ever evolving and changing. But you know, ladies, what do we observe? Because you weren't the only shapeshifter alchemist on retreat. More than half of our group had this archetype. And I love seeing this play out. But what did you both observe in terms of, you know, the different things we did and how the shapeshifters responded? I did find that just before I know, I just asked you to both share and I'm going to jump in again. This is an archetype that sometimes can have challenges with visibility. I didn't notice that as much this time as I have on previous retreats where there can be. There was one lady that didn't wasn't maybe as tangibly visible and would be late more than others which is again a classic shapeshifter alchemist depending on their other archetypes but in the past I've literally had experiences where someone's like felt like they literally were able like which is a behavior that can show up for a shapeshifter alchemist so what did you both observe through your own archetypes but more about what you saw with the other archetypes and did you learn or understand this archetype more by observing the group dynamic of shapeshifters I, I can certainly say that I, I mean, I fully embody my shapeshifter alchemist archetype, love her. She was just, 
vibrating at such a high frequency the whole time that we were in Bali because of the magic and the energy of Bali. Um, but what I did observe was the deep curiosity that a lot of the, oh, not a lot, but some of the women who have this archetype and haven't potentially really tapped into it, mm -hmm. haven't really explored that, haven't really tapped into the innate magic of this archetype. And so seeing their curiosity of what, them wanting to know more and understand more and understand how, you know, perhaps Rachel and myself were seeing things or feeling things, I, I that to me was really exciting. Um, mm -hmm. I found that to be really exciting. And, I, and, and as you said, I didn't actually observe uh, any of the um, women who had this archetype hiding or going into hiding or struggling with visibility. But I, I think that was the overall energy, encompassing energy of the group. It was so open and warm and inviting. Um, I know that one of the many reasons why having a small group where we can be intimate is to support shapeshifters so that they can be visible. That was a conscious choice on my behalf. As well, you know, to support all the archetypes to be themselves and to feel as comfortable as possible, knowing that there will be times when they won't feel as comfortable or as maybe connected to who they are or embodied in who they are. But that, you know, if we had a group of 20, you, I can almost, I think, guarantee that there would be one or two women that we would lose, mm -hmm. yes. like literally. <laughs> So. And I also and I also observed the love of this archetype in the ritual and the intention, the daily rituals, the daily intention that you know Balinese and Bali is, is infused with. And I just saw that really shine through in the in the women who had this archetype. Yeah, agree. Rachel, what about you? What do you want to add to that? Yes, so not those rituals and intentions in Bali are just so beautiful and I think um, even if you don't even have the shape shifter you just embody it anyway mm -hmm. and it just brings in that whole magic into your day it starts your day off just beautifully mm -hmm. and just the energy and just the whole environment there was a real vibration in Bali especially in Ubud where we were and I think um, all the shape shifters were just really feeling it and that they were learning about themselves too which was mm -hmm. amazing and how they could strengthen it yeah and as you pointed out Karen I definitely observed where some of the ladies that are not as yeah maybe aware or in touch or have as much of a strong relationship with the shapeshifter alchemist like yourself and Rachel do they were seeking the two of you out and they were asking questions and you know feeling comfortable to have conversations about things that they've maybe been curious about but never voiced out loud before because it's on their kind of the edge of fitting into that world of magic or something a little bit different that might not have been accepted or they weren't sure how to ask the questions. And you two are so open with all of your spiritual practices and learning and, and curiosity that it was, it felt like such a beautiful gift of permission for them to also be more curious, which yeah. was, and, you know, and to just in general open up the conversation amongst a group of women around things that I think are so important to talk about. And everyone's like, you know, imagine everyone listening going, what did they talk about? Well, you'll just have to come on retreat and find out for yourself. <laughs> for sure. All right. So as we're getting towards the end here, there is one archetype that we haven't talked about. The one that didn't come on retreat this year was the networker connector. And it's not uncommon for one or two archetypes to not show up in our small groups. So as I said, though, I have had networker connectors on retreat with me in the past. It's an archetype that is a very social archetype. They love to literally be connected with other people. They like to make introductions. They like to kind of share their network and 
see what what is possible. The thing that they often don't do very well is is self-connection. They're very good at kind of externalizing their connection and very good at being connected to everybody in the world, but not necessarily to themselves. And I know in the past through observation, the first year we were on retreat, there were two networker connectors and they kind of buddied up every night and kind of did a bit of a party, which wasn't necessarily conducive to the comfort of the rest of the women because depending on whose room they chose to party in could be very noisy as an influence on the other women that were trying to have some downtime and and rest and sleep. Um, So that was, uh, I find, a a bit of a funny thing. And I do remember I'm not someone who who tells anybody off or asserts rules, but there was one time I know that there was um, influence because they were down underneath me and I'm like, no, I've got to say something. You know, so I did just say, ladies, just kind of keep in mind that other people are trying to rest and sleep and it's late you know and we have kind of big day tomorrow and you know could you just think about that but they were a full in party mode in terms of you know this hanging out with each other and you know socializing um which was funny so how do you think aside from that example how do you think uh networker connector may have played out on retreat i think maybe i'd love to know your thoughts on the, the self-connection because a lot of what we do on retreat is about self-connection that's not something that they're necessarily comfortable with that was exactly where I was going to lead in with um I I would I can see the potential challenge mm-hmm. that a networker connector would have in um in the exercises or the activities of that inward reflection of really connecting into themselves and I would see that I could see that they would really need to be drawing on whatever other archetypes they may potentially have to support them in doing that. Yeah, and that's often what we talk about, right, when we're coaching a network connector is to lean into their other archetypes to support that self-connection because if they just are relying on their network connector, it often doesn't really land in a way that's useful and supportive for them. Yeah, anything else you want to add to that in terms of you know some network connectors in your kind of your broader community? How do you think they would have gone on retreat? Um, I think they would love to, like, they love being around people as well. So doing all the activities and things would just really heighten what they love. But when you have that um, that downtime and that alone time, I, I just think that they tend to struggle a little bit with that too. So they seek each other out. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm kind of glad we kind of didn't have too many, net, we didn't have any networking connectors <laughs> because I need my sleep every now and again like everybody else does. So it's good that they weren't there. <laughs> Yeah, I know the second year there was a networker connector and someone that was quite swayed by the network connector and they were the two that were kind of hucking off into town to do things in in the tightest windows of time where it was almost impossible to get there and back. But it's like needing to go and connect with more people, um, which was, again, interesting to observe, different to the way back in that first year when you were there, Rachel, with the kind of the party girls. Um, but just I find it fascinating to watch how they, you know, if they're, if they're the only one, how they find someone who's kind of will lean into the socialising aspect to do it with them. If they, it's like they can pick out their potential buddy to party with or to have fun with or to get out and to connect with more people with, um, you know, be extroverted like that, which is fun. Awesome. We have gone through the whole 12 archetypes, which is great. Thank you for a mammoth conversation. Anyone who's listening in, thank you uh, for listening to Rachel and Karen and myself talk about the archetype summer tree. Now, this isn't to say that every archetype is always going to play out like this on retreat, but I have seen some consistencies over the years, both on retreats and in groups, but it definitely is heightened when we are, as I said right at the beginning, together for a week 
you know, different days, different activities, different requirements, different things happening, also influences from home um, going on and all sorts of different things showing up and, and influencing the way that we end up playing out true to type. And the way that we work with the Thrive Factor archetypes and coach with them is that understanding in traditional archetypal psychology is that we, when we're in a space of uncertain, potential overwhelm, a different environment that we're not necessarily 100% comfortable with, different people we don't know just yet, we tend to play out true to type faster in our defaults of our archetypes than we um, are able to be consciously aware of I'm I'm using this strength today or I want to lean into this attribute and this behaviour or this feeling state of a particular archetype that I really want to embody. Uh, we tend to find that often potential challenges show up and become actualised much faster. Uh, than they may be would in the kind of everyday environment in which we find ourselves in. And that for me is always something that I really appreciate, being able to observe and having the Thrive Factor framework and the archetypes then to support the women if things don't play out like they want them to and they don't feel and behave and respond and get excited or whatever it is like they wish that they could have or planned to um, be able to have something that's so reliable to be able to support them to understand where that's coming from and what they can do with it, which is, I think, such a, again, one of the many key gifts and assets of the Thrive Factor Framework and the archetypes. So, Karen, Rachel, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for joining me on retreat, but thank you for coming and being a part of this conversation. Uh, anyone who's listening in, I'll make sure that in the show notes, as I said, that you have links to connect with these beautiful ladies, uh, both on their websites where you can do profiling and find out about the ways you can work with them with the Thrive Factor archetypes and coaching and also their social media links, um, mostly their, their Instagram so you can connect with them and follow them there as well. And if you have any questions about the archetypes or you have any questions about retreats or getting profiled or coaching, please reach out to, to myself and my team. Again, there's always links in all of the show notes so that you can make that very easy to do for you. Uh, but I hope you found this interesting. I hope if you've got some insight into what your archetypes could be, you've now imagined what you could be like on retreat. And, yeah, if you want to come to a Thrive Factor Co retreat in 2024, there are still places, still a handful, or probably half the places in the Cambodia retreat for March, and we have still got uh, August. We will be back in Ubud. So very excited to see what next year, what we bring to the table next year. Have a beautiful day wherever you are in the world. Thanks for listening into She Leads, She Thrives podcast, and remember that you were born to thrive. Thanks, ladies. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. You are so valued and appreciated. Aside from this podcast, my favorite place to hang out online is definitely Instagram. So come and join me, Shannon underscore the Thrive Factor. And no, my DMs are always open for genuine questions and connections. For all the latest Thrive Factor goodness, visit thrivefactorco.com forward slash links, where you'll find more about thriving in life and business. Be sure to subscribe and rate the show and share it with your friends. Let's amplify thriving the world over. <music>